Welcome to the Brown County Hour. Coming to you from the legendary hills of Brown. Where the plum purple haze, the one nature herself drapes in the hills and hollers, inspires local characters, artists, and nature lovers. It's as though the hills themselves conspire to create a beauty and a culture in the heart of Indiana. Sit for a spell and hear the music, the tall tales, the true stories, and the current goings-on, brought to you by folks who still know how to sit by a fire in winter and swim buck-naked in the summer. This is Frank Jones, and welcome to another installment of the Brown County Hour. It's real good to have you with us, and we've got a holiday show set up for you this evening, and there's just so much talent that we're just going to have to let it unfold before your very ears. Now here's a piece from the Historical Society. Welcome to What's the Difference Between Then and Now from the Brown County History Center. Christmas and other holidays, hear those bells a-ringing, people singing over the river and through the woods, to grandmother's house we go. Bells were everywhere, top of steeples, on churches, the courthouse, even on a barn or two. Dinner bells rang out over the valleys to call dad and the workers in from fields for lunch and dinner. What sweet music that was. Long before electric lights and neon and exploding fireworks people still found ways to celebrate good times and good news. I can't think of a time people get together hardly without eating and making music of some kind, even if it's only the music of laughter and happy talk. Did you ever just sit and listen to the lyrics and times your family and friends, what they make as they sit around? Well, not everyone sits around. Kids run around and up and down and in and out. A fiddle or a dulcimer makes fine music, but your mama's singing in the kitchen as she fills the pots and pans with food and the air with delicious fragrance of cinnamon on pumpkin pie and roasted turkey mixed with baked beans smothered in those sizzling bacons. What smells and the fragrance coming out of the front room at Christmas time is the Christmas tree, cedar and all those things. You can go outside and look at the trees and find you one, can't you? Yes, you can go out near your woods and find a tree, or you can find those red berries that grow on little bushes, or sycamore or sweet gumballs, and pine cones make great choices. It's complete without stories. Those of long ago in a manger when a baby was born, and he made the angels sing about the best news there is any time is the birth of a child. Or those in hard times or changing times. We live in changing times then and now even more. Many religious groups have holidays and holy days these days. One of our prayers surely needs to be that we don't kill everybody before we learn to get along or at least leave each other alone. Well, rumor has it that some people just like to get gifts no matter what the season. And we're not dishonoring other people by telling our stories of our times, our own family's faith, or our community's historic 
traditions. Grandma Oz was a very good cook, and Christmas dinner usually included duck, rabbit, pie, and turkey and biscuits, as well as other goodies for the table. Friends and relatives came in on horseback or rode their buggies. Here's another Christmas story. It comes down to us from Harold Holcomb. He says, my Christmas story begins about 1948, and we have moved to a town called Elkinsville. Harold says, we lived on the top of a big hill about a half mile from town. The family had five boys and one girl, and about three weeks before Christmas, Dad drove his 1935 international truck to Columbus, Indiana. We had a wood stove, and my older brother and I had to get firewood to burn. Wood was hard to chop with the old axe we had. We found this old rail fence behind the house and could cut and break it up pretty easily. Well, as the days passed, we knew it was getting close to Christmas because we were out of school on Christmas vacation. I can't imagine the worry my mother went through because of nothing to eat except oats and being so close to Christmas. But one morning, Mom was up early and was looking through one of the old cabinets in the kitchen. She found a half dollar that had been cut halfway through with an axe, probably the axe we had been using to get firewood. She wrote some things on a piece of paper, wrapped it around the half dollar, and sent my brother and me to the store about a half mile away. We went in to the store and handed a lady this piece of paper. She looked at me and she just smiled and said, Merry Christmas, boys. She filled two big sacks and gave them to my brother and me. We took them home and when we came in, mother was so surprised because she said all she wrote down was a loaf of bread and some bologna. We told mother that the lady told us today was Christmas. Mother put everything on the table. There were two quarts of milk, two loaves of bread, bologna, cheese, flour, meal, and a sack of candy canes. And believe it or not, there was a box of mother's oats. I found out later that Emery and Ada Bocock were the owners of the store. Ada gave us all that food, and she knew what Christmas was all about. Christmas and other holidays here in Peaceful Valley, that's a place filled with paintings, hills, valleys, and picturesque scenes where you slow down. You look around and lighten up because you are home for the holidays, no matter what your address or birthplace sponsored by the Brown County Historical Society. It's only 93 days until spring. Well, that was a very nice little piece there, and we'd like to thank Julia Pearson, Pete Siebert, and Rachel Malone for that work. Now, we've got the uh, Coach Light Musical Theater Christmas in Brown County coming to you right now. Do you remember that song you taught us about the different places you visit here in Nashville? Of course. <laughs> well, let's sing it. You know, that's the first good idea you've had this whole trip. Green Valley Lodge and Calzone Jones, Carmel Corn Cottage and Nashville House. It's Christmas in Brown County with all of the folks at home. 
the Seasons Lodge, Brown County Inn, Riverline Yoga and Hills of Brown, and Santa Claus, who you know, of course, is one of the boys from home. The door is always open, the neighbors pay a call. Father Bill from up the hill will bless this house and all. How grand it feels to click your heels and join in the fun of the jigs and reels. I'm handing you no glory, the likes you've never known. It's Christmas in Brown County with all of the folks at home. You know, I'm kind of hungry. Why don't we go to Holy Cow for dinner? Good idea. Iris Garden Gallery, old house common grounds artist colony. It's Christmas in Brown County with all of the folks at home. Ethereal Village Salon and Spa, Honeysuckle's Garden, Virginia's Hideaway. And Santa Claus, you know, of course, is one of the boys from home. Absolutely. Oh, and I think we should go to Chateau Thomas. Oh my gosh, that would be amazing. Oh, or maybe Big Woods Brewery. There you go. Ethereal Village Salon and Spa, Honeysuckle's Hideaway, Virginia's Garden, and Santa Claus, you know, of course, is one of the boys from home. The door is always open, the neighbors pay a call. And Father Bill from up the hill will bless this house and all. How grand it feels to click your heels and join in the fun of the jigs and reels. I'm handing you no glory, the likes you've never known. It's Christmas in Brown County with all of the folks at home. And we can go to Joanne's. Oh, yes, and I need to pick up those sweaters and peggins. Right. Oh, and the scrapbooks and paper tricks. How grand it feels to click your heels and join in the fun of the jigs and reels. I'm handing you no glory, the likes you never known. It's Christmas in Brown County with all the folks at home. Well, that was outstanding. And the cast of characters involved there would be Amy Smith of Bush, Andrea Swift Hanlon, Steve Dunnigan, and John Phillips. Thank you, guys. And now we've got a roundtable discussion from a couple social agencies here in the county. I'm Pam Rader, and I'm here with the Brown County Radio Hour. Many people in the holidays think about giving to others or those with less. And we've got together tonight a roundtable discussion with a few of uh, the helping agencies in our county. I'm Millie Weinfurt from the Community Closet. I'm Jan Metz from Mother's Cupboard. I'm Margie Ray from the Salvation Army. Tell me a little bit about your organization and, and how it got started. The Community Closet's been in business about 34 years. It started in a church, in a spare room. Ladies would collect clothes, mend them, sew them, and give them to the families that needed them. They outgrew the one room. Now we're in the basement below Who's Your Buddy and Subway. And Jan? We started in 1999, and uh, we're a soup kitchen, and we serve hot dinners from four to six, seven days a week. Uh, with a no-questions-asked policy to anybody who comes in asking for food. And where are you located? In Bean Blossom. On 135. Right. Okay, the Salvation Army has been around forever. They're um, available for utility assistance. We have a food pantry. We're there from on Wednesdays and Fridays from 10 to 1. And we also do a toy drive at Christmas time. Now, uh, how would a person go about donating like cash or in-kind contributions to each of your organizations? The community closet prefers to get their donations during our business hours, which are Tuesday and Thursday, 9 to 4. 
and the first and third Saturday of the month from 10 to 1. They can also call and leave a message on our phone. It's 988-6003. And what kind of items? Just clothing or? Clothing, small household items, dishes. The only thing that we, that we frown upon is electronics. So, so Jan, um, at Mother's Cupboard, if someone wanted to donate goods or wanted to donate money, uh, how would they go about that and what sort of things do you accept? We accept um, food from restaurants and uh, canned goods from the community, and they can call us at 988-8038. We have donation boxes outside. I guess if you had produce from your garden. We have a lot of people that bring in produce for us. Good. Okay. Margie, how about the local Salvation Army? How would someone go about donating items or cash? We would take food and cash, of course. We don't take clothing or furniture because we don't have the space to sell that. So we don't have a thrift store. We just have the food pantry and the financial assistance. And you would like them to bring in on the hours you're open? Yes, from 10 to 1, or they can call, and that's just on Wednesdays and Fridays, or they can call us and we can be there for it. Okay, thank you. Mm-hmm. Millie, at the community closet, do they have space for volunteers? Always. We always need people to work. If you show up during business hours and you explain to them when you're available and what capacity will work you in. Okay. And Jan, how about you and volunteers? Seems we, like most of your cooks are volunteers. Everybody there is a volunteer, uh-huh. basically. All they need to do is just come in and, and call us as, and tell us what they like to do, um, cooking, serving, stocking the shelves, or cleaning. And Margie, how about the Salvation Army? Well, mostly right now, this time of year, we need bell ringers. Ah, that's right. I've seen you out in front of the ordinary. Yes, and um, we'll be doing that after Thanksgiving. We'll be doing it here in Nashville and also at the Walmart in Columbus. And we have a very hard time finding people during the day, during the week. So, And in Nashville, don't you do it at the IGA? IGA, yes. From Thanksgiving time on? Yes, mm-hmm. until Christmas Eve. Great. And all the money you collect in your kettles goes directly here to Brown County. And stays in the county. Yes. That's our budget for the year. Okay. Could you, Millie, say your contact information again, like a phone number if you have a website? Um, We're not that advanced. We don't have a website. (laughs) We don't even have a cash register. But um, phone number, again, is 988 6003 and we do have a post box. It's PO box 44 Nashville 47448. Okay, thanks. And Jan, how about at the um Mother's Cupboard? You have a phone number again if you Our phone number is 9888038. We have a PO box um PO box 825 Nashville, Indiana. And Margie? Well, our phone number is 988-7019, and we do have a website. It's sabrowncounty.org. Okay. Is there anything else you'd like to add, Millie, about community closet that I've not asked you? Well, the number one thing that I think is most unique about the community closet is that we are totally run by volunteers. thing that you donate that generates any kind of revenue for us, it once we pay our bills, which are minimum, 
it all goes back to the community. And how does it go back to the community, the money? We, we donate to every fire department on a regular basis once or twice a year. We donate to the Humane Society. We donate to Mother's Cupboard on a regular basis. The community closet is largely clothing. Um, what if a person can't afford to even buy clothing? Um, I've met people on Christmas Eve uh, for to help the families get clothing. Anytime and Salvation Army contacts us and the fire departments give our name to people because it's not just clothes. They need household items once they get into temporary housing. So basically if someone comes to us, and asks us for something, if it's clothing or something that we have in the store that doesn't cost us money, and they say they need it, we give it to them. That's why we're there. We also help financially where Salvation Army or United Way, other organizations, prosecutor's office, all we ask is that when someone comes to, for a request for financial support, that they've gone to someone else or that they get referred by another agency because we want to pick up the pieces where somebody else missed them. Okay, in the past, we've given, we'd buy a cow from 4-H auction, have it butchered, and donate it to Mother's Cupboard. And over time, Jan has known that we're there if they need something, so we kind of have an agreement that if she runs out of meat of whatever, it's chicken, we'll order it for her and pay for it, and then they can pick it up. Or We've been ordering it local so that we're helping the local business person as well as... I like that that you are all, you all three are already working together to make sure people don't fall through the cracks. And and Jan, you I'd like to know how many meals that you serve on average or in a given year. Uh, we serve um, sixty to one hundred and fifty each night, um, over thirty thousand a year. Wow. And I just heard you're, you got a grant to go green up there. Yeah. Yes. Today was our first day. We, we um, served our dinners out of biodegradable containers. That's, so that's great. Really, yeah, it's really exciting. And Margie, is there anything you want to add about the Salvation Army that I haven't covered? We do have the social services side of the church, and we help once a year with emergency utility assistance. And that goes along with the food pantry, which people can go through once a month. And we help about 85 families a month. Great. I know people think about giving during the holidays, but as all three of these ladies reminded me, we should be giving all year long. And now for a sweet little Christmas treat by Gunther Flum with Don't Touch His Cookies. There I was up off the ground with reindeer flying me around, sitting there in Santa's sled because of what I didn't said. And though I know that it weren't right, while me and Santa had a fight, and that old man, without a doubt, has got a punch and knocked me out. Now, it was midnight, Christmas Eve, and I don't care what you believe. And don't tell me that it don't matter when you hear that kind of clatter on your chimney, on your roof, only made by a reindeer hoof. And so, of course, I went outside and asked old Santa for a ride. I mean, you know, I had to try. Here's the reindeer. Here's the guy. But with a scowl, he yelled no. And down my chimney, he did go. I went inside, and there he was, doing what he always does, leaving presents by the tree for the flums with some for me. But I had thought it kind of rude, and so I said, Hey, Santa, dude, I asked you once, and I was nice, but I ain't going to ask you twice. That's when I proved us flums ain't rookies, and so I grabbed his milk and cookies. 
Then Santa said, why, them are mine. I said, of course, and that was fine. And leaving presents by our tree, why, even that was fine with me. But all us flums has got our pride. I only ask you for a ride. That's when it was, before you know, he had me wrapped in mistletoe. He moved so fast, like in a rush, and then I heard the reindeer hush. That's when it was, to my surprise, he punched me right between the eyes. And when I finally got awoke, I'm in his sleigh, a reindeer spoke. Now let me make this understood. Santa knows that you've been good, and you can have this ride for free, but leave his milk and cookies be. Parents warn your kids. And now, station identification. And now a song by Slats Klug from A Brown County Christmas. On the first day of Christmas, my true love gave to me one coon cross and possum trot creek. On the second day of Christmas, my true love gave to me two tater bugs and a coon cross and possum trot creek. On the third day of Christmas, my true love gave to me three cow pies, two tater bugs, and a coon crossing possum trot creek. On the fourth day of Christmas, my true love gave to me four fifths of meal, three cow pies, two tater bugs, and a coon crossing possum trot creek. On the fifth day of Christmas, my true love gave to me five bowling balls. Four bits of mule, three cow pies, two tater bugs, and a coon crossing possum trot creek. On the sixth day of Christmas, my true love gave to me six heifers up and five bowling hogs. Four bits of mule, three cow pies, two tater bugs, and a coon crossing possum trot creek. On the seventh day of Christmas, my true love gave to me seven pecker woody, six heifers up and five bowling hogs. Mules, three cow pies, two tater bugs, and a coon crossing possum trot creek. On the eighth day of Christmas, my true love gave to me eight booger holler, seven pecker woody, six heifers up and five bowling hogs. Four fits of mule, three cow pies, two tater bugs, and a coon crossing possum trot creek. On the ninth day of Christmas, my true love gave to me nine pippin' peepees, eight booger holler, seven pecker woody, six heifers up and five bowling hogs. Four bits of mule, three cow pies, two tater bugs, and a good crossing possum dog creek. On the tenth day of Christmas, my true love gave to me ten tempted tuck my nine pippin' peepees, eight booger holler, seven pecker woody, six heifers up and five bowling. Oh, sweet! 
cow pies, two tater bugs, and a coon crossing possum trot crate. On the eleventh day of Christmas, my true love gave to me eleven lips and whistles, ten tufted titmice, nine pippin peepees, eight booger hollers, seven pecker woody, six heifers, up and five bowling halls. A mule, three cow pies, two tater bugs, and a coon crossing blossom trot creek. On the twelfth day of Christmas, my true love gave to me twelve wrecks of rust, eleven lips and whistles, ten tufted titmice, nine pippin peepees, eight burger hollers, nine pepper woods, six heifers, seven five mauling hogs. Four fits a mule, three cow pies, two tater bugs, and a coon crossing blossom trot creek. This just in, 7.11 p.m. Caller from a local payphone reports someone stealing bird feed out of her bird feeder. 7.15 p.m. Same caller reports she may have found the culprits. She thinks it may be the Italian midgets that just moved in next door. And now Susan Showalter has sat down to have a word with wildlife artist Bill Zimmerman. I'm here today talking with William Zimmerman. He's a world-renowned wildlife artist. His work has been published and collected and exhibited all over the world, including at the Smithsonian here in the United States and in the British Museum. Your work is on labels for a local winery. And I was thinking as the holidays are approaching here, a lot of people will have your work in their homes. started doing the Oliver Wine labels they started a series of wine labels that they called Indiana Artists, and they asked me if I'd do one. They knew wine they made, and they named it Hummingbird Wine. They asked me if I would illustrate that, and that kind of got us going. And then, oh, every year they'd have me do a label, and then one year they had me do a series of different fruit labels. And Oh, so you did the fruit, too. And so I've, I've, I've done a lot. I haven't lately because I kind of got where I couldn't work, but there's still plenty of labels with my things on it. Right, and I saw that it looks like butterflies. And butterflies, and, I did butterflies and birds and, and, birds and, and animals, a little bit of everything. I also wanted to mention that you've worked maybe since the beginning with the Brown County Mentoring Program. Well, I did a little. Right. I, For several yeah, years, didn't yeah. you? A few yeah, years. That's, that's a great contribution. It is, and it's a, a great way to inspire young people to become artists. I was mentored when I was probably in my teens in high school. My cousin, who was a cousin of Marie Goth, a mutual cousin, one day brought me over to uh, visit Marie Goth and Carrie Annie. And I wouldn't say it was mentoring, but it was inspirational. And I went home and painted a, a landscape and a flower vase full of lilacs and oh, great. <laughs> that was the extent yeah my... and you still remember it oh so yeah that's how yeah. significant yeah. that was how did you originally get into art i think that i was exposed to audubon very early in my life how did you learn to paint i went to cincinnati art academy for a couple of years of night school I had a show when i was uh, 17 i had a little exhibit bird paintings Wonderful. I quickly realized that I'd rather keep them than sell them. I sold everything within a short period of time, and, and then I just didn't want to sell them anymore. I'd rather keep them. And I did other things, worked for my dad, 
in his hardware store. That's the way a lot of kids <laughs> get started. So when did you finally decide you had to sell them so you could do this more often and make some money? Well, out? I never did, really, until I, I got a job at the Gibson Greeting Card Company. And so that was a salary. And came when, home. when was that, Bill? Oh, I was 19 when I started working there. <gasps> That's great. Took my bird pictures that I decided to not sell, and that was my little portfolio. And I went through the whole training process of their new artists, and so it was a good training period. I liked it. I had fun. I got an interest in wildlife. I got to do all the Father's Day cards, and I thought, this is great. But then I got a little restless. I did some original sporting-type rough grouse, and wild turkeys, and deer, and foxes, and things that appeal to the sporting people. I had a, an exhibit at the Abercrombie & Fitch store, but they had a, a company in Chicago. I took my paintings there, and they sold them in their gallery. So I sold paintings while I was working in the greeting card business, and the more I sold, the more I decided I'd rather do paintings rather than do greeting cards. And that's when this friend of mine that was doing this first little book on waterfowl invited me to share in the project, and so I quit my job and did that. Nothing stopped you since. Well, not much. I mean, you know, it's, right. it's been fun. You ask how many books I, I've done. Well, The Birds of Indiana was a pretty successful mm-hmm. book. It sold really well. It's a beautiful book. Thank you. And uh, Indiana University decided they liked that, so they wanted to do another book. We decided to do a book on the birds of Illinois and the birds of Ohio and the birds of Kentucky, but use the same paintings in all three books and have different experts in those three states write the text. Those three books were fairly successful, too. And then when I was doing my waterfowl book, I wanted to publish some old public domain journals on birds and use that for my waterfowl book talked iu into publishing one okay the woodpeckers of north america which was the smallest one of the collection i mean there are 20 volumes my goodness and uh, we took ben's life histories of north american woodpeckers published the text and then i put paintings of each of the species of woodpecker so there were 25 paintings that we reproduced and put in the book well the title was Bennett's Life Histories of North American Woodpeckers but when they promoted it I think they called it the deluxe edition because Bent only used black and white photographs of the era that I wrote a text for my waterfowl book and um, Poe wrote the text for this field guide that we did got me started. When did Bill Thomas come here? He was here before we came. I mean, he had written an article about me that was in the TWA travel magazine that you used to get in the backs of Mm -hmm. airline. Right, I remember. And then he sold that same article to... Christian Science Monitor. He sold it to everybody, and I became famous, quote, from Bill Thomas. He was like a paid publicity agent because he was good at marketing his stories. Right. And he sold them to a lot of people. That's great. I don't uh, see people that I used to run into a lot. What happened to you? I had a tumor in my back that I discovered, and it had to be taken care of. And I, I did that, and I've had lots of surgeries, and here I am. Before this happened to me, I always tried to get in a day's work, and my work is kind of, um, I get inspired. I do sketches. I create a paint-by-numbers drawing, mm-hmm. and then I finish it. So work is kind of like the creative part is about a two-day process, two- or three-day process, 
and then the production is about a month's project. Wow. You know, so, mm-hmm. I mean, that's kind of the way I work. When I was illustrating the birds of Indiana, I sometimes worked 12 hours a day, several months, because I wanted to get the job done. The Birds of Indiana was a book that you had published. Tell us about some other things you've had published. first thing I had published was a little field guide that I published in 1965, and it was a book for identifying waterfowl. felt very confined in that project, uh, so I decided I was going to do rather Audubon-esque elephant folio. And so I did five years on a book, The Waterfowl of North America. They were all big um, 18 by 24 paintings of 46 species of waterfowl. I have different prints that are available. The scarlet tanager in the yellowwood tree is available at the Nature Conservancy office here in Brown County. Well, thank you, Bill. I appreciate your taking time to visit with me, and I hope you and your family have a wonderful holiday season. If people are interested in buying your work, where shall they find it? Donna's custom framing on Old 46 Bill, here right? in Nashville. She handles my work. Thanks very much. It's always enjoy talking with you and love your work and good success in the future. Thank so you. thrilled that you're feeling better and back at work again. Well, I'm enjoying working again. Yeah, <laughs> great. Thanks again. Thanks. And now a poem by a local poet, Trisha Bach entitled This Christmas. This Christmas let us gather near and remember those no longer here and give to those who still come by the gift of wings with which to fly. Give some hope, a smile, good cheer, some words of encouragement, not of fear, some peace and love in a frantic world in shiny wrap with ribbons curled. Offer your hand, your heart, your soul. Let world peace be your only goal. For the greatest gift bestowed on friends is compassion and good faith that never ends. But to your enemies offer these too, for the hardest hearts can come unglued when just a tiny hope, well-placed, causes a smile to reach the face. So this year skip the credit bills, make a card, or better still, take your loved ones in your arms, dispel society's proper charms, hug and kiss for Christmas' sake, Sing, dance, rhyme, and friendships make. Give the gifts that are best returned. Happiness, for it's your turn. Give something that you know will last and put your heart into the task. Thanks, Trish. And now Kaylee Witt with her Walking with Nature segment. It's the holiday season, and walking in the woods in Brown County with turkey on the brain, I ran into this guy. It's the wild turkey, a large dark bird with a thin neck, small head, and long legs. The Sibley Guide to Birds says that it can have a wingspan of 6 feet and weigh up to 16 pounds. To find out what life is like for this fascinating bird, I went to see our Brown County State Park naturalist. I'm talking to Jim Eagleman about turkeys. You called me a turkey? The turkey is a flocking animal, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're social in that regard. They flock together at night. Uh, We call it roosting. And when I mentioned that amphitheater um, effect of, of um, the rolling terrain around here, they like to perch high in the trees at the lip of the amphitheater and then in the morning fly down to feed on the ground. When is the mating season of the turkey? Mating season? They mate in the spring. Uh, toms flock together through the winter. Uh, the young toms from the previous year and the mature toms. 
Um, and then there's competition between them. We've seen the hunting shows on TV with the fanned out bird, and that's the male. And he struts around with his wings on the ground. They drag into a harvested bird. Sometimes the hunter sees these ragged edges of the wing feathers where he's done the dragging. Um, the wattle gets flushed out with uh, blood and and uh, he's puffed out and they strut around and the young toms probably um, aren't as likely to challenge the mature tom but they watch and they fill a void whenever they can if that's a weakened tom or he's sick or he's not as assertive in his area the young ones vie for that position uh, but he asserts his dominance over the flock when he can breeds uh, promiscuously with as many females as he can. And um, that's pretty much an exhausting time for him. He's pretty well weakened and, and uh, slower at the end of the mating season. And that may happen um, uh, April or so. By, by March, he's probably getting ready and knows the harems that he's going to try to attract. By April, he's well in underway of trying to mate um, and then after he's mated, the hens are on the nest, and we harvest the toms. On average, how many chicks does a hen have? They're in what we call the gallinaceous bird family. Uh, these are birds with crops and gizzards, and typically they have big clutches of 8 to 10 to 12 eggs per clutch. And the birds are... Um, uh, Precocial, meaning they come out and they're ready to run around. They're fluffy, and uh, they don't need to be fed by the parents. They're on their own from the get-go. So as soon as they hatch, they dry out, they get fluffy feathers, and they run around behind the mother. And they tend to stay together. Um, the, the, the young of the year tend to stay with the mother, and her clutch stays together throughout the spring and summer. And then by midsummer to late fall, the toms... The males start to stay together, and then um, they'll overwinter as a, a male flock and a female flock. The wild turkey is an interesting bird. You said there was a reintroduction. Uh, when did that happen? In the 70s, uh, there was a reintroductory effort in likely areas where habitats could support them, but we didn't have any birds. So here in Brown County, the Mount T Ridge, which is um, north and east of the park, was one of the sites where birds were released. And they, I, I forget how many they turned loose in maybe a four or five square mile area, but several mating pairs were turned loose, and we've had turkeys ever since. Then in the 80s, we had enough that we could trade with the state of Missouri for... Uh, um, turkeys. Actually, we, we, we had grouse numbers high enough that we could trap grouse and trade for their turkeys to reintroduce to some of the places that we didn't have enough birds to turn loose. The turkey can be considered a definite success story. I also learned that an individual permitted under Return to the Wild raises orphaned wild turkeys. So thanks to Indiana Fish and Wildlife, with help from Return to the Wild, the turkey population in Brown County is thriving. So it turns out it is interesting to be a turkey. You called me a turkey? <laughs> I did. I did. Turkey calls were provided by Jeff Keller. 
For the Brown County Hour, I'm Kaylee Witt, Walking with Nature. And here's Gunther Flum with his poem, Unglued. So who would think that I'd unravel how Santa and his reindeer travel by using such a simple ruse as smearing on my roof some glues and getting sleigh and reindeer stuck in my concoction glue and muck. But there was Santa on my roof, reindeer stuck there by their hoof, and Santa could not find a way to get unstuck his glued-on sleigh. Of course, that's when, to my surprise, I caught a twinkle in his eyes, and then he started thanking me that I had finally set him free, and he can twitter every kid that I'm the one who finally rid Santa of his gifts and sleigh around the world that Christmas day by being just the kind of louse to glue poor Santa to my house. But next, I'm thinking what I did around the world to every kid. Why, in a twinkle, I could see they blame their missing gifts on me. And so I swear that every single tile, nail, plank, and shingle I ripped off in record time just to save this skin of mine. And so I set poor Santa free, trailing lights and Christmas tree. And though his reindeer came unglued, he kept ho-hoing, I'd be sued. Of course, I hear that every Christmas. This just in. 6.37 p.m., Caller on Wells Drive says that the world is coming to an end and the internet is scamming him and a gallon of ice cream would make him feel better. And now, station identification. And here's another holiday song from Slats Klug and the Boys. They can have their glamour in a tinsel town. Top hat, tie, and cane, and fancy evening gown. Take you to the country, honey, we can hide Christmas in a cabin by the fireside Saw it in a movie when I was a boy Lovers sledding down a hill with smiles of joy I never knew it could be true until we tried Christmas in a cabin by the fireside Candle in the window lighting up the snow A tiny sleigh cabinet radio Blanket on the floor and angels on the tree All I want for Christmas lying next to me
window lighting up snow. Tiny sleigh, Cabernet, music on the radio, blanket on the floor, lights upon the tree. All I want for Christmas is you next to me. They can have their glamour and their fancy fun. Diamond-studded evenings down at 21. Morning's gonna find us warm and sleepy-eyed, snuggled in the cabin by the fireside. Morning's gonna find us warm and sleepy-eyed on Christmas in the cabin by the fireside. Steve Miller has a story about Christmas in the past. Back in the 70s, I was full of Christmas spirit and young, and I got a phone call from a friend of mine that said that they'd gotten a phone call from uh, some people down near Mount Nebo at a church, and um, Wessie and Bessie Carmichael, uh, they were approaching 90 years old, but lived down there by themselves without electricity and with their animals and just people that the church kind of had taken care of a little bit. And the story was, which really intrigued me, that a neighbor had seen the bluish kind of smoky color of their chimney smoke as it came out of their chimney and knew that Wes and Bess were down to their, what he called the wet pile, you know, the bottom of their pile of wood where it was getting damp and it gave off a blue smoke. And I thought, wow, that these people take care of each other and keep an eye on each other, even from a distance watching the color of their smoke. Got my little red pickup truck and I got a friend and we got our home light chainsaws and headed down Mount Nebo Road. It was a Sunday afternoon and I think there was 12 or 15 inches of new snow and it was still coming down. And I kept thinking, well, I wonder if we're going to get out of there. But as we came down Mount Nebo Road and found their lane and as it kind of sloping downhill and I kept looking at how we were going to get out of there and it was going to be tricky but we had to move pretty quick so as I approached their house it was just like going back in time it was just this amazing people living in nature that just intrigued me and there was Wes standing there he had his axe and he, he had this look about him his beard and his hat and his eyes and just one of those characters that I was very intrigued by. And as I came up, I rolled down the window and he just looked there and I introduced myself kind of. I said, Wes, we're here to help you cut some wood. And he knew we were coming. I guess somebody told him and he had his axe and he looked at it and he said, I said, I'm from Nashville. He said, well, I guess that'd be all right. And I, he looked at me and I thought, oh my gosh, what eyes, what face. And I knew he was looking right into me and I thought, well, let's cut some wood. You know, it's getting dark. And he kind of motioned his axe kind of down the ridge. And I was, we headed down there. I said, well, you want to ride? And don't like trucks, don't like machinery. And I thought, oh, boy. So as we headed down there, first thing I saw was a big red oak tree right near the house, maybe 100 feet away, and an easy cut. And I said, hey, Wes, there's a big red oak right there. It'd be a great one. And he looked at me, and he just shook his head, didn't say anything, just shook his head no and motioned on down. I thought, we're getting further downhill. And then I saw a big white oak. And I said, hey, Wes, there's a, there's a great white oak right there by the road. And he just stopped, and, and I stopped the truck, and he just walked right up to my window, my open window, and he just stuck his face 
probably two feet away and just looked at me right in the eyes with those eyes and that face that were just speaking timelessness, really. And he said, you know, I'm a man of my word. And when I say something, that's what I really mean. And shook his axe. And I thought, whoa, okay, lead the way. So he headed on down and we went way down over the ridge. And I thought, oh, my gosh. And so we turned the truck around, backed up to this tree he wanted to cut. And he had told me that he and Bessie had cut all their wood, probably 50 years, with a two-person cross-cut saw that he kept razor sharp with his file. And she would get her little handmade basket and put their lunch in it, and the two of them would head out for a whole day and cut wood by hand for all these years and put it on a little sled that they had and pull it back up to their house by hand. You know, this is just amazing. And we fired up the saws and he just sat there just beaming. I mean, he was just smiling so big, watching, is so happy. And his eyes were just so bright. He was just like in wonder that we were cutting these trees with these power saws. And I thought, oh, this is so great. And so we cut a big load and put it on the back of the truck and headed back up and he walked right in front of the truck, wanted to lead the way. So we went back up and stacked it all right by the front door and saw that he was really down to his last wood. So I felt really good about it. And I said, okay, Wes, we got to get home. It's getting dark and I got to get back. And he just shook his head and looked at me again with that same look and said, no, Bessie's made you guys supper. So you got to come in. I knew, okay. So he opened the door and he motioned us in. We went in and there was a table right in the middle of the room with candle because they'd never had electricity, you could tell. They'd never lived with electricity. And I thought, wow, we're going to have dinner with these people and it's getting dark. And I guess I don't really care. You know, I mean, these are just such great characters. And so we sat there and, and the two of them sat in the chairs, watched us sitting there at the table. And then Bessie went to the stove and got a pot of Kraft macaroni and cheese dinner. The church had given him boxes, and he said, well, I don't know what to do with this, but I made you guys some supper, and it was four boxes of Kraft macaroni and cheese dinner. It was a big kettle full, and she piled it on her plates, and the two of them sat there and watched us start to eat this. So I ate and ate, and my friend ate and ate, and just about the time I'd get about half of my plate down, she'd go back to the kettle and bring it back over and heat more on it. I thought I was going to bust. but And then I finally started to relax and thinking, well, this is an evening I'm never going to forget. I started looking around and I saw their life. I saw the sack of hickory nuts and the bittersweet and the herbs hanging up in the window sash. And I saw that she had made handmade rugs, just animals, the dogs and the cats and the eggs. And they didn't have refrigerators. I just saw how these people lived by the simple truths of nature and the seasons and without money, without electricity. And and that was just an amazing evening when it was snowing. And I kind of relaxed and heard their whole story about their lives. And I was just blessed hearing the story of Wesley and Bessie Carmichael and we finally headed out said goodbye and shook their hands really hard and smiled and just I could tell that this was one of those Christmassy feelings that just was the best so we had got barely got out of there I mean it was just one of those evenings where we just barely got home and I was just so thankful but that we'd ever gone down there. I wonder what Abe Martin would think about Christmas like that Next to a circus, there ain't nothing that packs up and tears out faster than the Christmas spirit. Well, if you've got a New Year's resolution, Gunther Flum has a resolution solution. 
Every new year, my solution is making every resolution something that my wife can do just in case I need her to. Like, say I need a power tool. Like any husband, I'm no fool. So, honey, when you're at the store, could you get one item more? That's when I tell her it is found on the other side of town. And while she's gone, I have no fear of watching football, drinking beer. And by the time she wanders back with the power tool in the sack, and all the time that she was gone... You've made it till the halftime's on. And while she puts her stuff away, that's when I very gently say, Oh, babe, I can't believe my eyes, but honey, I need the other size just to do those things for you that you keep nagging me to do. And so it works just like a charm. My resolution's done no harm. She buys a chance to get her way, and I watch football every play. Now, I may have to do the chore she got the power tool for, but there I got her once again. My resolution don't say when. And now a word from our managing producer, Pam Rader. The Brown County Hour would like to thank the Brown County Community Foundation for its generous grant. With this money, we hope to upgrade our equipment and begin a living legacy project interviewing our community elders. During the holiday season, our thanks extends to WFHB for its continued support of our project. We hope you will support them, too. All of us here at the Brown County Hour wish you and yours a happy holiday season. everyone. This is Frank Jones, and on behalf of the Brown County Hour, I'd like to wish everybody out there a very merry holiday season. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Let your hearts be light From now on Our troubles will be out of sight Have yourself a merry little Christmas Make the Yuletide gay From now on Our troubles will be miles away Happy golden days of yours 
enjoyed this installment of the Brown County Hour. Our correspondents were Pete Siebert, Julia Pearson, Susan Showalter, Kaylee Witt, Amy Smittabush, Steve Miller, and Pam Rader, with special guest Rachel Malone. Segment production by Jeff Quick and Rick Fedick. Managing producer and chief cat herder is Pam Rader. Technical producer, webmaster, and go-to guitar picker is Jeff Foster. The executive producer of the Brown County Hour is Chad Carruthers of WFHB Community Radio. And I'm your host, Frank Jones. And if we don't see you in the future, we'll see you in the pasture. You've been listening to the Brown County Hour. Coming to you from deep in the woods of Brown County, Indiana. Celebrating the arts, culture, and nature that make this such a unique community. Visit us online at browncountyhour.com. The Brown County Hour is a production of WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported community radio for South Central Indiana. Take me back, back to my home. Brown County home.